0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: So if you're going to take a, bet, a risk, you might as well bet on an opportunity that if it, if it pays out and works, um, you're, you're going to be re- well rewarded for it.
0: Thank you for tuning in again to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Today's show is brought to you by Luminex Resources, ticker symbol is L-R in Toronto and L-U-M-I-F in New York. Luminex is part of the Lumina Group, which has an excellent track record of value creation, having raised US $290 million, which it turned into $1.6 billion, returned to investors through the sale of its companies. To learn more about Luminex, please go to luminexresources.com. Well, my guest today is Matt Geiger, Natural Resource Fund Manager of MJG Capital. Matt recently put out a letter to investors, which I'm gonna put a link to in the show notes below. So Matt, thanks for joining me to give us your take on what's going on as gold hits all time highs. As this market is so hot right now, has this at all changed your approach to how you invest in these resource companies?
1: Firstly, thanks for having me back on, Bill. And I, I must say, it's been an exciting few days. Um, got the investor letter out on Friday. Uh, it's posted at the fund's website at mjgcapital.com. So got that monkey off my back for the time being. Um, and then today, um, we, we wake up to all-time high gold prices in, in U.S. dollar terms. So um, very exciting times. Um, to, to, to your question, uh, no. Uh, it, the, the market environment really doesn't uh, change the way. Um, that, that we invest um, in the MJG partnership. I have my investment style, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Um, I guess the the, the key differentiator would, would be just the people's people fo- uh, first focus, um, where we're always gonna invest in management teams where I, I have confidence uh, that they're gonna conduct themselves ethically, um, that they're committed to the story and to create true value versus just making quick uh, paper profits um, themselves um and that they also have the skill set and the expertise um to to actually accomplish the goal that they're setting out to do. Um I'll also say from a project perspective or an asset perspective, um our style has always to uh, been um to invest in projects that they definitely have to have the right scale. So, you know, I think Ross Beatty has a Absolutely right. Where he says a uh, small mine has just as many risks as, as a big mine. Um, so if you're going to take a, a risk, you might as well bet on an opportunity that if it if it pays out and works, um, you're you're going to be re- well rewarded for it. Um, but the second point is we've we've always invested in projects that are economic um at the current uh, metal prices or or at even less um so i don't like to bet uh, directionally on metal prices i like projects that work and if gold sits at 1900 or if copper sits at 290 for the next three or four years we want the vast majority of our portfolio to be exposed to assets that can still be advanced and potentially even taken in, uh, into production um, in that environment um, we're, we're not optionality investors um, i have nothing against that style of investing um, an optionality investment is where you bet on a low-grade uh, bulk tonnage project um, that really needs metal prices to uh, increase substantially to even make sense on paper um, if you're right on your macro call and you do get um, those higher metal prices then the leverage um, for these companies are extreme um but i'm just as an investor not a phenomenal market timer by by any stretch of the imagination um and so i like to to invest in those projects that that make sense now and if the metal prices work in our favor then great that's that's gravy on top
0: where do you see the market rewarding companies the most in the resource sector right now you know sometimes they record, uh, reward high grade discoveries more than producers where are you seeing uh, the market rewarding
1: well i think i think you you nailed it with with uh, the post discovery plays um which which i'm encouraged which i'm quite encouraged to see i mean i would argue that we haven't had a proper uh, discovery driven bull market in over two decades at this point uh, probably the last was uh, was in the 90s, which was uh, before my my days as a, as a junior resource investor. Um, you know, even the 2002 to 2007 uh, commodity bull cycle, the, the the projects and the companies that were primarily rewarded were these large, um, you know, high tonnage uh, projects with lots of pounds or ounces in the ground um, that became immensely valuable as you know commodity driven. Uh, sorry. Chinese-driven uh, demand drove up commodity prices really across the board. Um, you know, for investors that made money um, in 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 that cycle with that strategy, I think they may be somewhat dismayed with what these upcoming few years um, uh, have have to have to, have to come. Uh, I think the miners and the larger uh, producers that will be acquiring some of the the better junior projects, um, especially in in the gold producers, have learned some very painful lessons about buying high-grade. Uh, projects with, or sorry, um, high tonnage, low grade projects with the assumption that metal prices are going to continue to rise infinitely. And so I think they're going to be much more selective with the types of projects that they're willing to acquire and to bring into production in in the coming few years. Uh, at least I hope that's the case. And I think if if they can stay disciplined, um, that's going to result in a, in a longer and, and more drawn-out bull market, which I think is in all of our best interests as investors.
0: There's been a slew of private placements and financings that have been offered. I'm sure that you're reviewing <laughs> numerous per week, at least especially in the last month. I mean, what would a private placement have to offer to you at this point for you to pull the trigger on it?
1: I mean, it's it's been crazy, Bill, and I, I know you're well aware uh, of that, just the the amount of deal flow that we've seen. Stephen, even the past four to six weeks has, has been a little bit uh, overwhelming. Um, I will say that I, I really do try as an investor to keep a, a, a portfolio that is concentrated at most you know, 20 publicly uh, traded names at any given time. Um, obviously, sometimes I'll go a little bit above that. But I think as an investor, that's, that's important for a few reasons. Um, the first is that it's much easier to keep uh, track of each of your companies and have a pulse. On their news flow, how the company's doing, and you you make better decisions on on when to potentially add more or when to exit and, and liquidate. Um, secondly, you know if you keep a concentrated portfolio, um, when when one of the stories pays off, um, you have enough exposure as is within the portfolio where, where it actually moves the needle um, for your for your overall portfolio. So, with that said, I'm I'm trying to be. Very, very selective as we always are, and of course with this deal flow that can be dis, uh, difficult. But I would just encourage all investors to be as disciplined as, as they can. Um, if you're speaking specifically to gold and silver um, focused uh, stories uh, or gold and silver focused placements, um, I mentioned in the letter that the bar is is really that much higher, um, even higher than it normally would be. Um, and, and that's just given our current portfolio construction, we're basically two thirds weighted to gold or silver equities right now, which I'm c- quite comfortable with that weighting. It's higher than we've ever been, um, since the partnership's inception. Um, but where we are in the market cycle, I'm all right with that. I, you know, I, this is not going to ever be an all, you know, full precious metal focus fund though. Um, and so, so with that in mind, you know, we will consider, um, gold and silver, uh, new, new positions. But, you know, with a, with a very high bar, um, if it's a company that we already own and they're doing a placement, um, if, if I if I like the progress the company's made, if I, don't, if I think the valuations, um, you know, not too far out of whack, then we'll, we'll happily participate and I'll be a little bit less stringent on deal terms. And that's true for all of our companies, whether precious metal focused or not. Um, but in this environment, specifically for precious metal investments, um, I'm really not even going to look closely at the deal. Um, unless I have a, a strong relationship uh, with management already, um, know the asset uh, very, very well, um, and or know and, and trust and respect uh, investors that are coming into this financing and can vouch strongly for the, for the team in charge. If, if you know, two out of those three boxes or all three of those boxes aren't checked, then I'm, I'm not even going to dig all too deeply into the deal. And Additionally, if I'm going to add a new gold and silver focus name to the portfolio right now, um, I'll'll also want to see a full warrant uh, most likely attached, which is which is again a very high bar for this environment because because companies are able to raise with half warrants or even in some cases without warrants at all. but just you know for for the sake of being selective, um, I want all those boxes to be checked before before we uh, before we write a check.
0: Yeah, last week I was presented with a private placement and it was a half warrant, half two year warrant which just at this point in the bull market that wasn't even. That wasn't even attractive to me, kind of what you're saying here. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah, and again, if it's, it's if it's a position that we already own and I, I like the management team, I like what they're doing, the company's on the right track, uh, then I wanna be supportive and we're gonna be less selective. But if it's considering adding a new deal to the portfolio, like you, you really want that full warrant, at least for the uh, Precious Metal Focus names right now
0: trilogy metals is a world-class developer in alaska's ambler mining district the company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper 3 billion pounds of zinc over 1 million gold equivalent ounces and over 77 million pounds of cobalt trilogy's arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of 1.4 billion dollars with a 33 percent internal rate of return trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in alaska the company is well capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Matt, I remember listening to an interview you did a few years ago, and you were talking about your planned exit strategy for this gold bull market, and I thought to myself at the time, I couldn't find exactly what you said, but I thought, I wonder if he's selling too soon. Can you kind of give an updated view on your exit strategy for your precious metal stocks?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm not quite sure what what uh, previous interview you're referring to, but I'll, I'll, I'll just answer <laughs> your question uh, Your question straight here. Um, you know, as a value investor, like I, I feel that investors really would be behooved to firmly look at their uh, individual investments on a case by case basis, and it, it's important to me to have a num- a share price number in mind um, for where the company should be valued. Um, you know, if it's more of a value investment, um, that would be considered either the fair value or intrinsic value. What is this company worth per share today? Um, and if it's more speculative, then I would consider the, you know, that to be the speculative value per share. If things go right, um, you know, risk-adjusted, what is a reasonable share price for, for where the company is at? And then you just compare that to the current share price, look at the delta, and, and go from there. So I don't want to have any overarching um, you know, extreme rule, um, rule for, for selling here. Um, I just think you need to look at each of your your holdings individually and take profits and potentially take your entire investment off the table when you see the share price approach and surpass what you deem to be that fair value or speculative value per share. Um, I will just say generally, um, I think we run a risk, especially if this is a a very powerful and and, and sustained uh, precious metal bull market um, that, that we get too greedy as investors as well. So I agree. You don't want to pull out too early. You also don't want to ride it, ride it over the top, um, and, and, and leave substantial amounts of money on, on the table. So one way to address that could just be to have kind of a portfolio, um, waiting, uh, limit within your, within your portfolio. Um, for individual positions, we, we have this, we, we, uh, limit our, the maximum position, um, that we'll initiate at cost is 10%. Um, and then at market uh, is 20%. So if, a, if we put our maximum amount into a placement and the company doubles, um, no matter how well the company does from, from there on out, no matter how much more value I think there's, there's, gonna, uh, there, there's to be had, we'll be selling on the way up. Um, you can do something similar with your overall portfolio. I wouldn't recommend investors do this quite now. Uh, quite yet but if we're in 2021 and things are going really well and you're, you're seeing generalists continue to just pour into the space um you know rather than trying to call the top you can just say as an investor look i'm not going to allow you know gold and silver related equities to be weighted at more than 15 percent of my overall portfolio or 20 percent of my overall portfolio 10 whatever whatever is appropriate for that individual investor and that's just kind of uh a little bit of of some handcuffs, um, on, on you to, to be smart. And any time that, you know, you're, you have a really good week on with your gold and silver equities. Um, you look at the overall weighting of your portfolio. Oh, we're at 17%. I want to be down to 15%. Okay. I'm going to take profits from, from a few of my names to, to get that. You just keep doing that. Um, you know, at, as, as things go up and you reposition your profits either in other natural resources, not, not precious uh, metal related or in, in other investments entirely. So I think that's a, a decent way that you can stay disciplined without uh, you know, jumping out too early and also not riding over the top. Neither of those are good.
0: These pre-revenue companies have to issue shares in order to get cash to move forward with their programs. Some of them can get in really bloated share structures and still be far away from cash flow. For you, when you're looking at a company where you like a lot of the aspects of it, but it has a bloated share structure, can you talk about what you would need to see positively going on in that company for you to invest in it?
1: Certainly. I I really like this question, Bill, because I will say I think investors in general are too concerned with bloated share structures or at least they're worried about it for the wrong reasons. So I will say as an investor, that's not a a massive red flag for me. Uh, In fact, I would argue that there's nothing inherently wrong with a bloated share structure. Um, At the end of the day, if you are a value investor, all that should matter to you is the company's valuation. And that's the company's share price times the shares outstanding. That gives you a number of where the company is currently valued. Then you look at their assets, you determine how much those are worth. And if there's a substantial delta between them, it's, it's a good investment, whether the share structure is bloated or not. Um, that said, I think in practice, there's a reason that people over time have come to try to avoid or be concerned with bloated share structures. And that's because it's often associated with certain things that really do matter. Um, I would argue that the bloated share structure can sometimes be a symptom of, of an overall illness within the company, and that illness could be low insider ownership. Um, oftentimes but not always, if you see a bloated uh, share structure, that's associated with management and board owning less than 5% of the company per se. Um, you know, oftentimes if you see a bloated share structure, uh, that's associated with a company that's been serial di- diluters. And if you're a serial, serial diluter, that generally means that you're spending a lot of money for either promotion and or company overhead or, and or paying management salaries, all that good stuff, which is good for management teams, but not good for investors. Um, another thing that you'll see associated with, the bloated, with bloated share structures um, are projects that have just been you know, reflogged cycle after cycle after cycle without being built, without being advanced without being bought by a major company and, and tried to be taken into production. So those are the kind of the sicknesses that cause a bloated share structure. But I would just I would just I would just argue that on its own. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that bloated share structure, and investors should really focus more on the company's valuation. Um, the share structure alone, without looking at the share price, doesn't mean a whole lot.
0: Matt, when you're talking to CEOs of companies you're invested in or potential investments recently, what type of advice have you been given some of these CEOs as we've been seeing the precious metals prices go up?
1: Well, I, I think a couple points. Um, it's, it's easy to, to, to get greedy, um, especially in this market environment and what we've seen over the past uh, eight weeks, um, at least in the junior space and, and a little bit longer for, for the bigger uh, miners and the GDX and the GDXJ. Um, I would just remind CEOs and investors where we were in March, which seems like an entire world away, um, but was really uh, only four months ago. Um, I, I speaking for myself. You know, we were investors were were curled up in the in the fetal position, uh, wishing that they were entirely in cash, and uh, really really suffering with with the market sell off. And now, just a few months removed, kind of the greed and euphoria that we're seeing in the market, to me at least, is pretty jarring. So we need to, we need to keep in mind that this is a cyclical industry. This is a volatile industry. And um, times will get bad again. I'm not quite sure when, but they but they will. So with that in mind, what do you do? Um, I think as a, as a company, you should you should take capital right now. Uh, dilution hurts, um, but money is available for for companies um, with theses to prove. Um, you know, with with catalysts that they're they're trying to fund. Um, you know, take take the money if if you can. Um, would be kind of my my main my main point to drive home. And then the second point would be, and this only is relevant to a company of a certain stage, um, you, you don't want to rush into drill programs just for the sake of, of promotion. So if you're out there working, uh, you know, ground truthing, um, doing geophysical surveys, uh, doing sampling, uh, grab sample, channel samples, you know, there's, there's no reason to, to rush that work or cut it short to drill. But if you have a project where you're, you're comfortable with certain targets, um, you know, I see there, there's really no reason not to be drilling right now. Um, as a company, if, if you're at the right stage, because the market is richly rewarding these post-discovery plays. I mean, I, I would argue that's probably the, the segment of the market that's just seeing the most love right now, um, You know, whether it's the, the Vislas of, of the world or um, you know, these, these names that have seen really rich hits and their share prices, triple, quadruple, quintuple um, on, on the aftermath um, of that so, so as a company, uh, get out there and and, and get the drills um, going if, if you can. Um, and if you, if you get a, a positive hit, you know that you'll be richly rewarded in this environment.
0: You're also bullish on copper. Copper closed in on three dollars a pound recently. There's been a little pullback down to about two ninety or so, but that's still up significantly since mid March, where it was down, I believe, around two ten. What do you think's been the primary driver between be, behind copper's rise in price?
1: Well, it's, it's a good question. Um, I mean, in, in the investor letter that I just sent out, I had a, a nice little piece on the copper. Um, gold relationship um, bet- between those two metals and and noted that in the past 30 years, gold has, all, has um, only been um, more uh, valuable relative to copper um, twice in that 30-year period, and that was uh, in the early 80s. So I think just from a reversion to the mean perspective, copper had some catching up to do. Um, I think also just the Gross amount of economic stimulus that's been pumped into to, uh, economic systems globally has kind of driven this hope that there's going to be increased industrial uh, demand. Um, I don't want to be too cautious or too pessimistic, but still at this point, I'm not yet convinced that we're in a, um, a broad commodities bull market at the moment. Um, I think it's possible that what we're seeing is uh, a precious metals bull market um, with, the, with the backdrop of uh, broader um, deflation or disinflation. Um, I'm willing to change my mind. There's a few key levels that I'm, I'm looking at for different commodities. Uh, one of which is copper. I think if we see copper break, um, substantially over this $3, uh, us per pound level, that's going to give me more confidence that, Hey, maybe this is a broader commodity, uh, baseball market driven by inflation. Um, and not just precious metals uh, specific for the moment. Um, other levels of note, and these are some in- interesting technical level- levels given by uh, Michael Oliver. Um, would be forty-five dollar oil, um, nine dollars and thirty cents uh, soybean, soybean price um, for those following kind of the ag complex, and then just the uh, com- uh, Bloomberg commodity index generally. Um, if we see a monthly close above seventy-three dollars. Then from a technical perspective, that's that's looking like a breakout from a long-term bearish trend. So those are you know a, a few different uh, metrics that I'm looking at, and if we see three or four of those break above those those key levels in the coming months, I'll be more comfortable saying, hey, we're here um, for commodities generally. Um, but until then, I want to be a, a bit more cautious um, on, on the base and energy metals as much as I love their their future um, medium and long term.
0: Matt, when you're looking at gold projects and you're looking at the byproduct credits that go along with that gold project, do you prefer a copper byproduct uh, credit over all other potential uh, mineral credits you could get? Eh,
1: not, not really, Bill. I mean, yeah, I guess all things equal. Um, you know, I, I, I do like polymetallic Projects and if you can get a copper kicker in there, then that's great. But but in practice, as an investor, I'm really just looking at the economics um, at at spot metal prices or even at below spot metal prices, and, and whether this project makes sense. You know whether the initial capex is going to be well below the after-tax NPV using reasonable assumptions. You know whether you uh, can have an IRR of twenty-five percent, thirty percent, or higher. You know whether you're going to get a quick payback of three, four years, preferably sooner than that. And so, to me, I, I just look at the gross gross metal value. Um, and I'd much rather invest in a high quality you know project that's one hundred percent gold with with no byproducts or no kickers whatsoever than a mediocre copper gold porphyry with with a 50-50 value split. so yeah, in 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 practice, it's not something I, I look at. Um, I guess to your question, though, all things equal, yes, I, I do. I do like polymetallics, but it really does not drive our investment decisions by any in any respect.
0: What's your thoughts on the nickel market and potential nickel investing opportunities?
1: I, I, I mean, I, I like nickel uh, as I as I mentioned earlier in this call. I, I try not to uh, take you know aggressive views on on specific commodity prices, and instead bet on management teams and projects that make sense at, at current prices. But, you know, there are a few metals out there that I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about over in the medium and, uh, term for sure. And, and nickels would be on that list, uh, probably, uh, alongside uranium. And I, and we can loop, uh, uh, copper in there as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are aware of, uh, of Elon Musk's comments um, just last week on on Tesla's uh, quarterly conference call, pounding the table for for nickel producer uh, or nickel development projects to, to get out there, uh, raise you know construction financing, and uh, you know he says Tesla will be there um, for for long term contracts. That that remains to be seen. Uh, it's going to take more than uh, you know, Mister Mister Musk to just say he wants something to be the case. Tesla's going to actually have to come up and offer attractive Prepaid offtake agreements for these uh, deposits to, to to get them up and running, um, but I think um, you know that that definitely caught the uh, attention of generalists and people that haven't been following the the nickel market uh, as as closely as as, as some of us. Um, I would say, given where we are at this point in the cycle, um, nickel definitely hasn't bounced as sharply as copper, and you know has as been ignored um, after getting a lot of attention. Um, last year, in particular, um, with, with, the, with the shutdowns um, in, in, in Indonesia. Um, you know, I, I think at the moment, there's no reason to get too fancy uh, with, with these nickel stories. If everything's on sale, go for the best. And those are usually the nickel sulfide projects. Um, that are big enough and hopefully in the lowest quartile or lowest half of, of the cost curve. And so for me, whether it's, um, you know, if it's a sulfide asset, whether it's a producing sulfide asset, one in development, a post discovery play, or even an expiration play where they're looking on some highly prospective ground for the potential of a, of a Boise's Bay or a Norilsk like discovery. I think that's the place to, to be right now. Um, you know, the other option really is to, is to bet on the, the latter right plays, um, which, again, that's more of an optionality strategy. Um, if nickel goes to 15 or $20 uh, per pound, you'll probably end up actually making more with, with the laterite plays that make no sense uh, at current spot prices, but on paper um, will be worth a ton at those, at those nickel prices but I, I think that the more conservative and better way to go about it is to focus on the higher quality sulfide assets for now. And, and we can adjust if, if need be um, as the cycle continues.
0: As we bring this conversation to a conclusion, what type of feedback have you been getting from your investors? I like to, to hear to get kind of the pulse that people are, are sensing right now in this bull market.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my investors have been, have been very supportive and they, they've seen a lot, especially some of the, the original um, partners. So I, I appreciate them sticking with me through through times both thick and thin, um, so yeah. In, in terms of, of feedback, um, I guess I've been a little bit more preemptive. To be honest, I'm a little bit sensitive to have, uh, having underperformed the GDX and GDXJ um, over the past six months. Um, I think there's a reason for that. It's not. I'm not concerned, but I'm, I'm letting people know part of the re- you know the reasons for this, um, and, and there are a few of them. Um, the first is that we are uh, 20% of our overall portfolio. Um, is in private names at the moment. And so those are naturally going to lag and not re-rate in lifetimes um, like our publicly traded equities. Um, the second is that we really are focused on the junior um, spectrum of the market, you know, the expiration and development stage names. And crazy enough, we only have one. Currently producing miner in the portfolio right now, so when when the when the cycle turns and you, you start seeing those inflows, naturally they're going to go to the big boys first, uh, the big multi asset producers, and whether that's the the precious metal names or or base metal names, it's it's going to be the same. But I feel firmly that if this cycle um, continues in this vein, we'll, we'll see the trickle down effect that we always have, and and that's to our advantage. We are on the on the smaller side of the spectrum, and I would argue that just over the past four to six weeks, that's when we finally started to see interest uh, come into the game. And then I would just say that as a third point, you know, we aren't a precious metal focused fund and we, we never will be. Um, you know, I it's, it's risky enough um, to to invest as a uh, natural res- with a natural resource mandate. This is insanely cyclical and volatile market. And I, I think while it admittedly would maybe be easier to market uh, to pr- uh, new prospective investors in this exact environment, to me it's just too crazy to to refine uh, or to define your 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 investment mandate to only two or four metals if you want to include the PGM. So um, I'm pretty happy with our 66% uh, exposure weighted exposure to gold and silver, but we do have some other names, whether it's copper, Ag, or or nickel or. You know, uh, you know, one or uh, two zinc names that have lagged the precious metal names, I think their time um, has come and I'm willing to, to be patient with them even if, if, even if it makes our portfolio lag in the immediate term.
0: Matt's website again is mjgcapital.com and I will put a link in the show notes to his July 2020 investor le- letter that we referenced in this discussion. And if you'd like to get Matt's insights, I believe on a biannual basis, go to his website, mjgcapital.com and sign up for his email list. Matt, as always, appreciate your insight and thanks for coming on today's show. Always a pleasure to join you, Bill. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon.
1: The mining business is one that generates
0: gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances